right, Acts chapter 23 tonight. Acts chapter 23. And just a little bit of review before we get into this chapter. So the story that we are looking at actually begins in chapter 21 where we see Paul being told not to go to Jerusalem. And you know the story. He goes anyway. Uh, he is not doing anything. He's not stirring anything up. In fact, he's doing everything he can to appease the Jews. He's going through a lot of their ceremonial things, but he gets spotted by some Jews from Asia. They lose their minds. They start accusing him of bringing a Gentile into the temple and they end up beating him up. And then the Romans come, uh, the Romans take him. Then he, uh, in chapter 22, the Romans allow him to speak to the multitude, uh, to the Jews that are all there. And he speaks, but the Jews didn't listen. They weren't having it. They weren't hearing it. So the Romans, they don't understand what's going on. All they know is there's a commotion, there's a riot, and everybody's blaming Paul. But they did have uh, laws. They did have some rules and things that they had to follow. And what we're going to do in this chapter tonight, we're going to do a couple things. One, we're on the first part, we're going to look at this story, and I want to make a life application. But then another thing I want to do, I want to spend some time explaining why some of these things are the way they are. Because it helps us understand exactly what was going on that day, and it also helps us understand kind of how things work today, especially politically speaking. There's always been politics, even back in that day, and a lot of the behavior that we see you know, it can have you scratching your heads in a few spots, but if you understand the political situation of that day, all of a sudden, everything makes sense as far as why they are doing things the way that they do. And, if you, and a lot of times in our own government, when you see some of the dumb things people do, it's like, what are they thinking? Well, if you understand the political, you know, if you pay attention to politics, okay, that makes perfect sense. It's political. And it's the same thing, too, in the preacher world, you know, in the Baptist world. A lot of stuff is political. A lot of people's positions. It's not by conviction. It's political. And so when you see weird behavior, you hear preacher preaching weird things, it's like, why is he trying so hard to twist that passage into meaning something that it clearly doesn't? I'll tell you why. Political pressure. That's why. And this chapter, I think, will help us understand a lot of that. So, uh, in verse 1, uh, the Apostle Paul is standing before a council of Jews. The Romans are there present, and he's basically on trial. They are accusing him of all these things. And so the Romans, they're listening to see what's going on, to see if there's anything that needs to be done to Paul. And it says, And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And we can take a... And what I want to do... I want to take some lessons from Paul in this story about soul winning. Because when you're trying to reach people, when you're trying to uh, get a message across to them, it's so important that uh, we make that we're, we're connecting, that what, whatever we're preaching, that we're focused. It, it's important that when we're preaching, that we're preaching with conviction. Because when, anytime somebody gives you an opportunity to preach to them, it is just that it's an opportunity. It's a great opportunity, and it's real easy to just kind of start going through the motions of what you're doing. And you do that, you're going to lose a lot. You're, you're, you're not going to be as effective. And we want to make sure 
we watch this and notice how before Paul's speaking to these people, and I understand Paul is not, he's, he's on trial right now, but you understand that Paul is kind of soul-winning right now. That was the whole reason he went there. He's just wanting an audience. He's wanting an opportunity to preach. And so as he's standing there, he's like looking at the crowd. He's looking at the group that he's talking to. He's earnestly beholding them. He's not just standing there with his face in his Bible going through a script. And listen, when you first start going soul-winning, you know what you typically do? Your face is in your Bible going off your script. You know what? That's okay. You're learning, you know, but you eventually want to get to where you don't have to do that. You know, so a lot of things that I'm going to be telling you that you need to do when it comes to soulmate tonight too. understand if you're not doing this yet, that's okay. Nobody does this overnight. Nobody's going to listen to this message tonight and then you're going to go out tomorrow and it's just going to completely change your soul winning. No, these are things you have to develop. And Paul, he's been doing what he's been doing for a lot of years now. And so he's gotten really good at it. And I'm telling you, if you stay at it, you'll get good at these things. But these are just some things you can watch for. Because they will, they, they'll really help. And so Paul, he is, he's watching, he's earnestly beholding. Whenever you're talking to somebody, you need to be paying attention to them. You need to be making eye contact. You need to be watching them. You need to be trying to get a read on them. It will help you quite a bit. Because So uh, take advantage of that opportunity when they give it to you. When you approach a stranger at their door, you know, they're a stranger. But that doesn't mean you can't learn a few things about them very quickly. If they've got Mary in a bathtub in the front yard... That tells you something, doesn't it? You know, right away, you know, hey, these people are probably Catholic. And, you know, and you ought to have, you ought to kind of have a plan when you run into different things. You know, anything we can learn to help us know how to present the gospel to them can be a great help. Not everyone is the same. Not everyone has the same hangups. So I don't want to waste my time just beating a dead horse on a point that they already understand. And I do. I go souling with people sometimes, and they'll spend 20 minutes convincing somebody that they're a sinner when they were convinced after two minutes. You don't have to do that with everybody. Now, you might with some people, but you don't have to do that with everybody. And it's like, and are you not paying attention? They got it. I've, I've talked to people about, you know, they're, they're like talking, to, they'll ask them about eternal security. If there's anything you can do to lose your salvation, no. And then they just keep asking follow-up questions about that until they mess up. It's just like, that was not necessary. You did not need to. They clearly got it. But it's, it's amazing how some people are so anxious to get somebody saved. They're determined to get that person unsaved by first, you know, getting them to say something wrong. It's like, no, sometimes people are just actually saved. And so guess what? You're not going to get anybody saved at this house. So just, you know, let people be saved if they're saved. But that's kind of another thing, a frustrating thing that I see sometimes. But before we kind of go into some more of these things, let's look at a few more verses. Look at verse 2. It says, And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by to smite him on the mouth. And I think they did this just because they didn't like what he was saying. You know, but, and they wanted to humble him. Paul's there. He's like, hey, I'm standing before you here. I'm in all good conscience. And they hit him. They, they, smite, they smite him in the face. You know, they, they, I don't think they liked, they didn't like the fact he wasn't acting like a guilty man. They wanted to get a bad reaction out of him is what they're doing. And a lot of times that's what wicked people will do. They'll try to provoke you to get you to do something bad. I've had people do that when I'm out soulmate before. Well, they will. They'll say something kind of offensive just to see what you're going to do. You know, and you can't react. You know, you can't let these people control you. You can't let people push your buttons. If you do, 
It'll get you in all kinds of trouble. And it says, Then Paul said unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And Paul, he calls him out right away for violating the law. They couldn't smite him because he hadn't been found guilty of anything yet. Again, you know, they were allowed to hit people back then. They were allowed to lay stripes on people, but they had to actually be convicted of something first. Paul's there making a defense, and then they send somebody over to hit him. And he called the guy a whited wall. Now, I think it's, you know, most people would agree that that is, you know, while that's not something we call people today, you know, that's just a reference to somebody who's just basically put a coat of paint on the outside of something that's really ugly. You know, you painted yourself up. It's like a lot of women, if you saw them without their makeup, I don't know, you know, they, it's not white, but, <laughs> uh, you know, they, and, and nothing wrong with that. You know, my dad used to always say any barn can use a little paint, but, um, but at the same time, you know, it is, it's a lot of times we can do things to cover up what we really are. And I think that's what he's saying to this priest here. You're, you're a whited wall. You're acting like you're all just, but what you're doing is against the law. What you just did was contrary to the law. You should be in trouble right now. And so now, and when he said that, while the fact of what he said was true, he did throw an insult in there. Okay. Calling somebody a whited wall. That was an insult. And they said in verse four, and they that stood by said, revilest thou God's high priest. Then said Paul, I wish not brethren that he was the high priest for it is written. Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. And so Paul actually, you know, he didn't know, but you know, he shouldn't have talked that way to this guy. And they, you know, they immediately call him out because he's going against the law of God. And then he quotes the scripture. He's like, Hey, I even know the scripture. I know what the Bible says about this. I didn't know. I, I didn't realize. And, and uh, he was quoting Exodus 22:28, where it says, thou shalt not revile the gods nor curse the ruler of thy people. And right there, that's a verse that causes some people uh, some confusion where it says not to revile the gods. I mean, we can't say anything against other gods. Well, here's what you got to understand about the term gods. It's not always a reference to deities in the Bible. We do not get to go to this verse here and say this proves that Zeus and uh, all those Greek mythology gods are real and we're not allowed to go railing on them. No, that's not, this, this doesn't prove that. Gods, it can be a term for authority or like a judge. In fact, an interesting thing, um, in, uh, in fact, the definition, if you look up the definition of gods in the, in the Strong's, one of the definitions is judges. And so it's just like in, in America today, we don't typically call people lords, do we? You know, but in some countries they do. Now, when we talk about Lord, we're usually talking about the Lord of Lords. Okay. But understand, um, you know, we, we kind of reserve that term for him, but it's not exclusively used for God Almighty. And it's the same thing too. While we exclusively today use the term God for God Almighty, that term has not always exclusively been for God Almighty. It's been used for others that have some kind of authority and like, like judges. And you can kind of tell from the context of what it's talking about there. In fact, if you look up, uh, well, I, I, I've got a few other versions here. Okay? And here's what's interesting. If you look at the newer versions, they butcher it really bad. But then if you look at some of the ones that are like older than the King James, 
It's interesting. So, for example, the NIV says, do not blaspheme God with a capital G or curse the ruler of your people. So if you read the NIV, that's talking about God Almighty. If you look at the ESV, it says, you shall not revile God with capital G, nor curse a ruler of your people. So according to those versions, it's talking about God Almighty. But if you look at the Geneva Bible, it says, thou shalt not rail upon the judges, neither speak evil of the ruler of thy people. And the term revile and rail, uh, those are used interchangeably in the Bible. We see when Jesus was on the cross that some came by and in one account it says they railed on him. Another one says that they reviled him. We see those terms used simultaneously in the Bible. A lot of people get thrown out of church these days for railing, uh, but nobody ever gets thrown out of church for reviling. Uh, uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with people are updating the definition. Of, I heard a guy the other day preaching and he said, we can't go off the dictionary definition of rail. And I was like, why not? And then I listened to what he preached. I was like, oh, that's right, because you're carrying water for somebody who does not <laughs> use that term the way the Bible does. But the dictionary actually does get it right. And revile and rail, it is. It's kind of the same thing. It's not just saying something false. It's when you are publicly ridiculing somebody, reviling somebody, trying to just make people think negatively of someone that is, that is railing or reviling. If I just have a disagreement with you, or if I make a mistake and say something wrong, that's not railing. Okay, that's not railing. And so, um, but that's in the Geneva Bible, it used the term rail. In the Wycliffe Bible, it says, thou shalt not backbite the gods, that is, the priests or the judges, and thou shalt not curse the prince of thy people, and thou shalt not curse the leaders of thy people. And then in the Bishop's Bible, it says, Thou shalt not rail upon ye gods, neither blaspheme ye ruler of the people. And so some of those old Bibles, it did. It said, some said judges, some said gods, and then it specified it was talking about judges or priests. And then some, it just said gods the way the King James does. And here's what you got to understand. Okay, so are you saying the King James translators got it wrong? No, I'm saying that sometimes words change meaning over time. But you know what does not change meaning is the Bible. And so what it meant in 1611 is what it means today. And so just because we don't use that word anyway anymore, it does not mean all of a sudden now it's talking about all these other deities. Okay, That's, that is not the case at all. This is, so that command that Paul quotes, you know, we shouldn't just go, uh, reviling and railing on leaders in Romans 13 7 it says render therefore to all their dues tribute to whom tribute is due custom to whom custom fear to whom fear honor to whom honor and I know we don't like these verses especially right now when Pritzker got reelected okay but again these I don't believe these things are telling us that we are not allowed to have very negative thoughts against our leaders obviously I mean what kind of person does not have negative thoughts towards somebody like J.B. Pritzker, okay? But at the same time, I do believe in respecting the office. And if I were allowed a meeting with J.B. Pritzker, I would show him a certain level of respect. As disgusted as I am by our president, if he came walking into the room, I'm not just going to go railing on him. I'm not going to be disrespectful. It's because the thing is, it's not just being disrespectful 
to that individual, it's actually being disrespectful to the nation. It's actually being disrespectful to the country, to the state. And in reality, we're kind of insulting everybody. It's like, you know, it's, it's kind of like one of those things, too, when other nations, you know, do things disrespectful to some of our leaders, typically Americans get upset about it. It's like, you guys can't do that. It's like, we can do that. It's kind of like, you know, it's like even in your own family. You know, when you're growing up, you can be terrible to your sisters, but nobody else better be terrible to your sisters. <laughs> and because you do, you go after the, fa- you know, you go after somebody in my family, you're going after the whole family. So again, there is, there's a difference there. And I do believe that we need to show that kind of respect. And so if I was standing before Prisker, you know, I would call him, you know, Mr. Governor. I wouldn't comment on his appearance. Uh, I wouldn't talk about his tranny brother. You know, I, I wouldn't do those things. Now, after church, while we're talking about him, you know, how the next four years are going to stink, we might say a few things about, about that. But I, I think you all get the point on that. And so the Apostle Paul, here he is, he's on trial, and then he's going and throwing an insult at the high priest. You know, and that is, that's something that is not going to go well for him. That's not going to help him out. But again, he didn't know. So he quotes that verse. <clears throat> so, uh, and again, too, when we are, when we're soul winning, we, do, we want to be careful not to do things that are offensive to the people we're trying to reach. Now, let me ask you, was this high priest a whited wall? Yeah, I think he was. I think Paul probably nailed it with this guy. But at the same time, you know, he's not going to help his cause and trying to reach these people. He's especially not going to help his cause while he's, on, while he's on trial if he's just throwing insults at the high priest. And so, again, same thing. If I, get, if I get nailed for something, if I have to go stand before a judge, and I don't know any of the judges here locally, thankfully, but if I knew one of the judges, you know, was immoral or something, I'm not going to go while I'm standing before him calling him a fornicator or something like that. You know, if I have to stand before a woman judge, I'm not going to tell, tell her to go make me a sandwich. Okay? Um, I might not like the fact that she's there, but she's there. And she could also throw me in jail. And so I'm going to give a certain level of respect uh, while I'm there. And uh, I, I would not do that. And I'll be thinking it. Okay? How many have ever been pulled over by a bossy woman cop? Seems like they're the ones that always get me. And I've had attitude to some of them before. And I think it got me a ticket one time. I'm pretty sure that's why I got the ticket the one time. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't agree with it. I don't like it. But, you know, I didn't tell that cop to go make me a sandwich either. I, I, and I, I wouldn't do that. I think it. But, <laughs> but, you know, you're just a public servant. No, nah, I'm getting myself in trouble. But anyway, so verse 6 says, But when, the, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees, so he, he perceived, again, he's watching, he's paying attention, and in other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. And Paul knew, I, I think Paul had figured out at this point, you know what, I'm not getting anywhere with these people. Paul understood, you know, I'm not going to accomplish anything. And these people are, are bound and determined to kill me. And we are going to see it. They were determined to kill Paul. They were not looking to find out if Paul did something wrong. 
They were determined to kill Paul. So he's wasting his time at this point. So he's like, you know what? I can at least do. I know how to get these people acting all crazy. And if I get them acting all crazy, then these Romans will rescue me from them. And so what does he do? Oh, man, we got a room full of Pharisees and Sadducees. I'm going to talk about the resurrection. And sure enough, once he did that, they all, they all started fighting with each other. And so, again, we can't always look at someone and you know, know much. But there are some things that will give us some clues about where people are coming from. And developing skills, being perceptive, it will make you a better soul winner. And so verse 7 says, And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. And that's important. You don't want a whole multitude agreeing. Kill this guy. So what do you do? Divide and conquer, right? And he causes division. And it says, For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confessed both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part rose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him, let us not fight against God. So here, you know, the, the, the thing is, while none of them, Pharisees and Sadducees, while they all didn't like Paul, they had a bigger, longer fight that had been going on between them over the resurrection. So when all of a sudden Paul makes that an issue... Now, all of a sudden, hey, he's, he's okay. Let's give this guy a chance. He's talking about the resurrection. Let's get back to our fight that we've been fighting for years and years. And they're all just fighting with each other. And this probably looks similar to what you see uh, if you ever watch Fiddler on the Roof. Okay, but Jews, they haven't really changed. Who's seen it? All right, who's, who's humble enough to admit it? Okay, if you remember at the beginning of the movie, there's a part where uh, there, there was some argument between two guys in there. I forgot what the argument was. But there was a part where the main guy of the show, he just went to the one and he just like made a statement like it was whatever. And then like immediately a big argument broke out and everybody was getting involved and it was just chaos. And that's kind of what Paul did. He, he, know how, he knows how the Jews are. And let me tell you, it helps if you understand cultures for you, if you're going to go reach them. Because, you know, I've been there before where I've insulted people that I didn't mean to insult. You know, you can offend people. And that's the last thing you want to do when you're going to go try to give somebody the gospel is just do something ignorantly and offend them. You lose that opportunity. So the more you can know about somebody, if you're going to be a missionary to another country, you know what you should do? You should learn about that culture. You should find out a few things that will make you a more effective soul winner. And so uh, before we go through the rest of this chapter, just a few things I want to give you about how you can be a more effective soul winner. And one, you know, learn how to read body language. Okay? And this, this is something, too, I get aggravated with people sometimes. It's just like, did you not see that, that you were greatly irritating that person? You know, take a hint. Listen, we don't want to have a bad testimony. They weren't listening to you. They weren't hearing anything you were saying. You know, we, we need to learn body language. We don't want to waste our time holding somebody hostage talking to them when they don't want to hear from us. We're not going to accomplish anything. And some people today are just so passive. Okay, I get it. If they came to your house, you know, you'd shut them down in a heartbeat. Okay, you know, I mean, I would handle, you know, I would handle a lot of these people probably like I do phone salespeople. You know, I actually had a phone salesperson call me today, and it was actually a real person. And I, you know, I asked them what they wanted, and they went into their pitch, and I was actually doing something, and so I just let them talk. 
And I was just kind of kept doing what I was doing. And then when they kind of asked what I thought, I just said, no. And I just left it at that. I just kind of let them waste their time. But, you know, some people are so passive, they will just let you go on and on and on while you're driving crazy. And you need to learn to pay attention to those things. You know, and sometimes you need to give a short presentation because the long one just isn't going to happen. If kids are crying in the background and the mom keeps looking at them, she's not going to let you give her the long presentation. And I've been there before where it's like guys are just going on and on. There's just pandemonium in the background. And the mom is distracted. And it's like, guys, you can't hold her up that long. There, there is, they need to take care of these kids. I remember one time I was talking to a lady, and it was pretty cold out. And she came outside. She was, a, she was very young, and she had a tiny little baby. And she came and stood outside and is holding this little baby out in the cold. And she was listening, and I'm, like, I'm thinking, she does not need to be out here in the cold with that baby. And she was just going to stand out there and let me talk to her. And you know what? I shut it down. And, I, you know, I said, if you get a chance to read this, you know, go watch this video. She didn't need to be standing out there in the cold with that tiny little baby, and I couldn't believe she was doing it. But it was a, it was a junky house, really young mom. Some people are just that clueless. It was really kind of sad. But you know what? The last thing I'm going to do is stand there, give her the gospel, that baby's freezing to death. You know, even if that mom is, you know, foolish enough to, it looked like a drug home, you know, but, uh, you know, what a sad thing. Pay attention to stuff like that. Said, so, you know, all that chaos is gone. You're going to spend 20 minutes proving that she's a sinner. She knows she's a sinner. Those kids they're all different colors. She's got all different, they've got all different dads, okay? She knows she's a sinner. You don't have to spend that much time on that, okay? It's, it's very apparent. And so while planting a seed, too, you know, you can watch and see if body language changes. Okay, when you're talking to that person, if you do, if you want to just give them a Bible verse or something like that, that's fine. And sometimes people will change their mind. Sometimes, I've talked to people before, they didn't really seem interested but then they like stop me and ask me a question. You know if that happens, but still be paying attention to those social cues. It's, it's very important. You'll know, learn what you can about them while you're there. So, you'll know, look for evidence of whether or not they're religious. You know, you'll learn what questions to ask. You know, it is a great question. What do you think a person has to do to go to heaven? That will tell you a lot, whatever answer that they give. Learn to ask those questions like that. One time I went to a house. And they had a mezuzah on the door. So you know what I thought? A Jew. I thought this should be fun. And they didn't answer the door. I really wanted to talk to him. I was pretty sure somebody was home. So I went and knocked on a different door. They answered the door. Started talking to the lady. Asked if she knew she was going to heaven. She said she did. I, what do you have to do to go to heaven? Trust in Jesus Christ. She believed eternal security. I'm like. And so I just had to ask her. Hey, I know she have a mezuzah on your door. Anybody know what those are? That's a Jewish thing. They put it on the side of their house and they like kiss, kiss it whenever they go inside. It's a Jewish thing. It's usually got like a little bit of scripture inside of it. And uh, I, so she's like, oh no, I'm a Christian. I, I just have one of those because she's like, I feel like as Christians, we're the real Jews. And I was just like, okay. I was like, I'm not going to put a mezuzah on my door, but I, I couldn't argue with the logic. You know, but uh, so, you know, sometimes we misread things. Sometimes we get it wrong. 
But again, a lot of times it's, it's obvious what people are, and that'll help you know what to do. Paul did that. He's looking. I don't know what it was. You know, I don't know how they dressed back then, but he could tell some are Pharisees, some are Sadducees. And so he, he used that. And uh, some people, they don't give you a whole lot of information, but you know, try to ask questions throughout the presentation to keep them engaged. But you know what? Also give them an opportunity to shut you down in case they're not interested. I think it's always important to do that. But continue to pay attention as you talk. Always be paying attention to them. Are these people responding? Are they getting it? Do they look confused? Pay attention to all these things. And then make sure your spirit's right when you're there. Because you know what? You might not be that perceptive, but a lot of times lost people are perceptive. You can be lost and be perceptive. You can be lost and know how to read body language. You can be lost and able to tell if somebody's lying or if somebody's is convinced by what they're saying. A lot of lost people are very capable of doing all those things. And, you know, if you're annoyed, if you're in a hurry, if you just don't care, they're going to pick up on that. And a lot of times in the Bible, you know, we see references to not just what they said, but how they said it and how people noticed these things and how they responded to it. And so we need to have a real burden and love for the people we're talking to. And there is no doubt that the Apostle Paul did. Uh, Obviously, the people he was talking to were blinded by a lot of hatred, but there was no doubt he loved these people. And so I think at this point, though, Paul, he figured out I'm not getting anywhere with these people. And I do. I think he tried to cause the commotion on purpose so he could basically rescue himself. But um, but anyway, the thing, if you can get anything from this, when it comes to soul winning, always try to develop that ability to read people, to be perceptive. The more the better you get at that, the more you develop that skill the more effective you'll be in your soul winning. And no matter what, the more you do it, the more you're naturally going to figure that stuff out. But in the meantime, always be watching for these things, be paying attention to these things. And, you know, when you're starting out, you're going to have to have a script. But you know what? Eventually you need to get to the point where you base your presentation on the person you're talking to and the answers that they're giving. And you'll be a lot more effective You'll spend your time talking about things that are going to be more profitable. And I think that is very, very important that we work on these things. And this passage, it does, it gives a lot of evidence that Paul is, he's paying very close attention to these people that he's talking to. And I think in this story, it didn't get, help him get the people saved, but it helped him save himself from this angry mob. So let's go ahead and keep reading through. The rest of the story. And it says, and, when, and so when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. And Paul was much more likely to get a fair trial without the Jews being around because they're just a rabid mob at this point. And it says, and at the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. And I think what's interesting, I don't want to just assume anything. Obviously, I can't get into the head of Paul. But one thing we're going to see about the Apostle Paul as we go through these stories is the Apostle Paul, time after time, we're going to see examples of him having incredible faith 
and just not worrying about things that he should probably should, you know, most people would be worrying about. Like when he's in the, he's in the major storm. Even when he gets bit by a serpent and he just shakes it off. It's like all these perils are coming on Paul from here on out and they don't even phase him. And I'm convinced that it's because the Apostle Paul believed what God told him. He said, you're going to bear witness at Rome. Now, if God says you're going to bear witness at Rome, you know what that means? It means he can't die until he bears witness at Rome. And that's and isn't that how we are when it comes to our salvation? We're not worried about going to hell. We're, we're not worried about anything taking us out. Why? Because we believe what God said about our salvation. And you know, salvation is not the only promise that God's given us. And we need that's how we ought to be. When we get a direct promise from God, I mean, we ought to believe it that much. And so the Apostle Paul, he, he wasn't afraid during a storm. He's like, we're going to be fine. He's, te- he te- he's going to tell me, we're going to get through this. You know why? God told him he was going to go to Rome. So he's got to get there. It, it has to happen. So I think this verse here was key to the Apostle Paul's attitude that we're going to see going forward as he just doesn't even flinch at one danger after another. And I I think that's pretty neat. And so I believe going to Rome, and I've talked about this before, was ultimately what God wanted from Paul. In Paul's detour in Jerusalem, while causing a lot of grief for him, and we're going to see too. I mean, this, this he's he's going to get to spend a couple of years in prison, and, you know, as a result of this. But eventually, over time, he makes it to Rome, and he fulfills God's will for his life. And so it's important that we remember that last verse because it's gonna it'll help us understand Paul's behavior going forward. Now let's look at verse twelve. It says, and when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now therefore ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him. And we are ever he come near are ready to kill him. And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee, who hath something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is it thou hast to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldst bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait for him of them more than 40 men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain let the young men depart and charged him, see thou told no man what thou hast showed these things to me. And isn't it interesting we see a conspiracy amongst the Jews back then. Nothing changes, folks. All right? But anyway, in, in what's, so what's going on here, these 40 men, they do, they're just from, we are going to kill Paul. They, get, they bind themselves under this curse, and they did. They was like, go tell the Romans, we're all going to behave now. We just want to inquire more perfectly. 
We're going to give him a fair trial this time, even though we've already decided what the outcome is going to be. And so Paul sends his nephew to go tell him what this plan was to expose this conspiracy theory that was going on, or conspiracy fact that was going on, because there was no chance of him getting a fair trial with the Jews. It wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. And so this kind of thing, too, because it's like, all right, now, wait a minute. The Romans are in charge, right? So why are they even let the Jews push them around? Okay, now, again, if you understand the political situation of that day, all of a sudden this makes sense. And it's like, well, and what's going on, too? Because the Romans are really in charge, yet the Jews kind of have their own laws and things that they're doing. You know, what was the system like back then? You know, how were things working? And so, because understand, too, the Romans, they would have been freaked out at the Jews having a mock trial and killing a Roman citizen. He said, it was just Paul. He was a Jew. Why would they care about this? And, and here's the reason. First off, even though Romans technically were in charge, there was a lot of tension and things were fragile during that time. The Jews were always trying to start uprising. There was always groups that were ready to overthrow the government. I mean, our country's freaked out because of our lame insurrection we had back on January 6th. You know, imagine if regularly January 6th type stuff was happening. But we're like people, we're actually accomplishing something. You know, not just getting there, you know, taking selfies in the Capitol building. <laughs> I mean, you know, but the thing is, while Rome had control, it, they didn't, it wasn't as strong as they would have liked. And if they push things too much with the Jews, then the Jews might have an uprising. And you know what? It was only about six years later after this that you have the big Jewish-Roman war that resulted in the destruction of the temple. That was, only, that was only like six years after this. So that shows you how tense things were during that time. And so even though Rome won that battle, it wasn't without great loss, without a lot of death. And so they don't want those things to happen. You know, if like our, our government, if it wanted to, it could go calm things down in Chicago. But the problem is politically, it's gonna, it would cause a lot of problems. Because if, if they were to go get control of Chicago, a lot of people would die. I mean, a lot of people would die. A lot of bad people would die. Okay? But at the same time, while a lot of people would be like, well, it's about time, there's going to be a whole bunch of the country, this is racist. You know, this is, you know, this is a race war. And it would, it would stir things up in this country. And we do. We have a very divided country right now. And so our politicians, they have to be very careful about what they do. There's things that they could fix. There's, there's areas where they know where the problem's at. They know what needs to be done. The problem is they can't do anything about it without things getting out of control. And so it was the same thing back then. It's not always a matter of just who's in charge. It's a matter of which ways the political winds are blowing right now. And so while the Jews didn't, or while the Romans didn't care anything about Paul, they understand if we just let the Jews have their way in this situation, we're going to make other Romans mad at us. And we need to be united right now. But the thing is, if we do the right thing according to our laws and we protect Paul, we're going to get the Jews mad at us and we're likely to have a big insurrection uprising. So that's why things, everybody's being so careful in here. Everyone's just trying to make everybody happy because things were so tense during this time. And so even though it's not that bad here, 
you know, I think even we ought to understand, you know, be able to relate with this a little bit. So understand, these Romans are not protecting Paul out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing it for political expediency. And understand, too, there's a lot of politicians who stand for the right things, not out of the goodness of their heart, but out of political expediency. I don't want to lose my voter base. You know, I don't want to lose, you know, this position. And we, we're dealing with the same stuff. Politics, it's a, it's a dirty, corrupt mess. And it's always been that way. And even when people are doing things right, a lot of times they're doing it for the wrong reason. And Rome was doing the right thing here, for the mo- kind of. But they weren't doing it for the right reason. They were doing it just to try to keep peace. So, uh, so when godless care, godless people care this much about law, it's because of political instability. And so, except if Republicans or Democrats had full control of things, you know what? They would shred whatever part of the Constitution that they didn't like in a heartbeat. And they would take out whoever they needed to take out in a heartbeat, if they could get away with it. But if they tried too much right now, we've got too many people in this country with guns on the, on the, on the, that's on the right side of things. And we've got too many people with bricks on the left side of things that are good at starting riots and causing chaos. So, um, and the thing is, too, they can't let that get too out of control because if, if we get in a battle between brick throwers and AR-15 owners, guess who's going to win that battle? So, uh, understand... A lot of politicians are keeping us happy right now, not out of conviction, but out of political expediency. So don't, you know, don't get too, let's always cheer them on when they do the right thing, but don't get fooled into thinking they're just one, great, wonderful people. All right, does that make, does that make sense? I think we all can relate with this. That's what's going on there. Rome, Rome was a godless nation and they, but they, you know, they wanted political power. And remember, only six years later, roughly, Jewish-Roman war took place. So verse 23, and he called them two centurions, saying, Make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, and spearmen 200 at the third hour of the night, and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on, and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter after this manner, Claudius Lysias, unto the most excellent governor Felix, sendeth greeting. This man was taken of the Jews, and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. That's not exactly how it worked, but, you know, that's his spin on it, okay? I love the law. I'm protecting the rights of Roman citizens, and so I did. I rescued him. You know, if you mean by I quit beating him, uh, you know, I, I, you know and I, I stopped the Jews from beating him so we could beat him, but we didn't beat him all the way because he told us he was a Roman. So he's not telling the total truth here. This is very political, all right? But it says, And when I would have known the cause whereof they accused him, I brought him forth into the council, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or bond. So they understood they have laws, they have their things that they could do, and they would let him do it to a certain extent. And so it's like, it seems like whatever the problem is, it's a religious thing between them, but he hasn't done anything worthy of death or bonds. And when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee what they had against him. Farewell. And so because this was such a sensitive matter, you know what we see him doing? Pushing it up to a higher court. And we see that happen a lot too. Whenever there's something that is just like a political bomb, you know, a time bomb or something, pass it up to the next court. 
Just everybody wants to do that. And that's why, too, you know, everybody wants to just give so much power to the Supreme Court, to the president, and just let him decide everything. No, you know, we ought to be able to take care of things, local things locally. Local things are best handled locally. Look how bad things were in the state when Pritzker was doing one side, when he was basically trying to force the entire state to do what was needed in Chicago. And it, was, and it didn't even help Chicago. But it really wasn't going to help us out. But you know what? Our leaders were too scared to make decisions. And you know what? Even when I called like our county board of health and people like that, well, we're just going to go off the governor's things. So that, but So they went off the governor's rules. Thankfully, they just didn't enforce them. But officially, they, the governor was setting all the protocol for everything here. That was ridiculous. Our local leaders should have been figuring out the protocols. But nobody wanted to do that. Let's just pass it up to the higher thing. And that was bad. That was a mistake. And those people ought to be ashamed of themselves. And I told them that. I, I told them that is ridiculous. Why in the world are you letting the governor, who's making decisions clearly geared towards Chicago, determine what we do here in Whiteside County? It doesn't make any sense. And so they did. They just had it in the books, but they just didn't enforce it. So I left them alone. Well, you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. But anyway, verse 31, Then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul, brought him by night to Antipatris, and on the morrow they left the horsemen to go with them and return to the castle, who when they came to Caesarea and delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul also before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was. And when he understood that he was of Cilicia, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment call. And so basically what we see going on right here, and the Bible spends a lot of time talking about all this trial and everything with Paul. A lot of time is devoted to this. But what we're seeing basically take place is Paul, this one guy, has become a great political liability is what's going on. The Jews don't like him. The Romans don't care about him. But the Jews want him dead. The Romans, they can't let the Jews just have their way with a Roman citizen, that's going to cause problems on the Roman side. It's going to cause, so they're, they're right in the middle of a situation they don't want to be in. And the Romans had no reason to kill them, but if they let them go, they're probably going to have an uprising with the Jews. And if they kill them, they're going to get a lot of Roman people mad at them. And so I believe Paul getting to speak before, you know, God was letting all these things happen too because God wanted him to be able to speak before the ruler of the world at that time. I think that was God giving the world a great opportunity. And, you know, the fact that they rejected, that was on them. And Paul is. Paul, he, uh, he's, he's going to stand before a lot of powerful people and he's going to preach Jesus to them. And, and God used that as a great opportunity. And so... Uh, some interesting things there from Acts chapter 23 that we can learn from. And next week we will see Paul uh, standing before Felix. And some interesting things. Uh, he There's one verse in there I was kind of wanting to talk about tonight, but I'm not going to. Uh, that is a fantastic verse you need to have underlined in your Bibles to uh, that just completely it, it, it debunks a lot of dispensational foolishness. And it's uh, a verse that I intend to throw in the face 
of our opponents on this quite a bit because there's some questions I'm finding I'm finding more and more questions that these people just can't answer. But anyway, that's coming that'll be coming next week. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. We thank you so much for this chapter. We thank you for uh, just the example of Paul and the boldness that we see. Uh, the just Lord, he had so many great attributes that we can learn as soul winners. Help us to be perceptive in our soul winning. Help us to. Uh, when we're out there to have conviction and to just have a real heart for people, help us to pay attention uh, and uh, do our best to just uh, have wisdom in knowing how to deal with people. Uh, help us to just understand every opportunity we get to give the gospel is a is a wonderful opportunity uh, that really that is a matter of heaven and hell for the people we're talking to. And so I pray you'll help us to to show wisdom and to seek your guidance uh, as we do these things. In your name, we pray. Amen.